It's not complicated. The Christian life is not complicated. Now, when you came to faith in Jesus Christ and suddenly and, you, and OK, and you start reading the Bible, you're, I, can, I can remember when I was a teenager and I got plugged into Jesus. And I started reading especially books on how to live the Christian life aside from, oh, man, this is complicated. I can remember walking into a Christian bookstore and here are walls filled with books on how to live the Christian life. I thought. This has got to be the most complicated lifestyle there is. No, 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 no. Simple, 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 simple. Profound, deep, meaningful, such as no other approach to life could possibly be. We are picked up by the God of mercy and grace grace means provision the same word we translate grace is also the word that's translated gift we are constantly being gifted with that each step of the way through the christian life we're being gifted by god he's holding us up to do the very thing he's called us to do he doesn't say okay here's your job now I'll come back in 40 years and see how you did. No, 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 no. I'm with you every step of the way to strengthen you, to guide you, to give you insight so that the next step will be the right one step at a time. Thank you, God. You don't say, okay, here's the plan. Now do it. See you later. No, that would be we would all fail. We would all fail right at the starting gate. He walks us through one step at a time, trusting him. The Christian life can be sum, summarized in one word. Trust. 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 For by grace are you saved, a gift are you saved, through faith, trust. And that not of yourselves it is the gift of god what did we just pray for a, a couple of moments ago for faith to be gifted to certain individuals and as we pray for certain for people to be brought deeper into the kingdom that's essentially what we're praying lord gift them with faith with insight gift them and we see that as we're continuing our our study or being we're being studied by <laughs> the scriptures it's it's a two-way street this the scripture opens you up oh and then it shows you what you need to do to, to do to be healed you go to a doctor you get a diagnosis but then thankfully if you got a good doctor you not only get a true diagnosis you also get the proper treatment the scripture god the holy spirit's use of the scripture in our lives does both it diagnoses and it guides us it strengthens us it enlightens us last week as we began our being studied by paul's letter to the thessalonians we saw paul reveling in and it's only 10 verses the first chapter is just 10 verses what is paul reveling he is filled with joy at what paul Silas and Timothy have been going from town to town to town to city to city to town to town in Macedonia, 
Achaia, which is Greece proper. They've been going and they, okay, we're here to tell you people something you haven't heard before. We need to, we're here to tell you about the good news of what Jesus of Nazareth, God the Son, has done for us. And they keep saying, well, we've heard this. You have? Yes, these people came from Thessalonica and told us. Really? You mean those people, that church that we started several months ago in Thessalonica, that congregation has just gone everywhere with the gospel truth and they're sharing this through all the towns and cities of Greece? Every time we come to one of these places, they're telling us where they've, you've been there ahead of us. Can you imagine how excited this makes Paul and Silas and Timothy that God has so energized that Thessalonian congregation that they are following the example of the men that brought the gospel to them. They're taking the gospel out. They're not just content to sit with it at home and enjoy its benefits and enjoy its fruit and enjoy its, and enjoy its joy. They're taking it out and sharing it and sharing it and spreading it and spreading it. What a wonder. And Paul just in that first chapter of First Thessalonians, he's just reveling in them. Rejoicing in them and saying this incites us to prayer for you more readily even than otherwise. We're just overjoyed by what the outcome of the gospel ministry that God privileged us to have. And I mean, he's really, you get a sense off the, off the chapter that he feels like, wow, God privileged us to come to you. In fact, as we, last week, when we, the, the large call to worship passage, we, Acts 16 and through 17.10, we read the narrative of Paul and his companions being sent by a vision to Macedonia. They go to Philippi. Then they go to Thessalonica. They were there by divine appointment. And now they're really seeing why God, Jesus Christ, had prepared the ground. Jesus Christ had prepared the ground. Chapter 2, verse 1, Paul continues, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. Wow! That's an understatement. That's an understatement. It wasn't a vain thing. Look at the incredible fruit you're already producing. But even after we had suffered before, and what had happened? They had gone to Philippi. What happened? There was an uproar in Philippi. Paul and Silas got imprisoned. Isn't this beautiful? And what happened? They got imprisoned. They got thrown in the... In the town jail completely contrary to roman law paul silas roman citizens weren't even given a chance by the magistrates to defend themselves they got thrown right into prison because the magistrates didn't even find out didn't even ask are, are, are you romans do we do you have that special legal protection that roman citizens uh, didn't even ask just had them thrown in jail and paul and silas are they have their feet in stocks they're chained the doors are all locked and what are they doing? It says in Acts 16, they are praising God. 
There is singing songs of worship and praise to God in the deepest part of the jail because the jailer was told, you put these guys deep in the jail. We don't want there to be any possibility that they will escape or have influence. But they're singing hymns of praise to God at night and suddenly there is an earthquake. And as an outcome of an earthquake, the doors all fly open and the chains fall off and the stocks come loose from feet. That's kind of an unusual earthquake outcome. And all the jailer knows is that they've had an earthquake and the doors have flung. He's assuming all the prisoners have fled. He's about to throw himself on his sword when Peter and, when, excuse me, when Paul and Silas stop him, lead him and his household to Christ. All the prisoners have stayed in their cells. Do you suppose that perhaps the same jailer and his household that came to Christ, maybe those prisoners had also come to Christ? Just as we heard from the testimony of our brother Seton Lee three or four weeks ago, who was guided to that cell block there in Cambodia, 155 guys, he's jammed in there. And instead of being beat up, he's radiating light. And they're wondering if he's an angel. <laughs> and he shares the gospel with when he says, no, I'm just a human. But God has sent his angels to defend me and half the men in that cell immediately become Christians. And 10 days later, they're yanking him out of the prison where he was, who knows how long he was going to be in. They drag him out of there and, and the guys who put him in there are really scared because this guy has turned the prison upside down. Now they've got to cover their wickedness. Oh, we, 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 we'll, we'll, we'll make things right, Seton. Who's God? <laughs> you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. To be ironic as possible. But even after we had suffered before, in Philippi, and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. We came to Thessalonica. And if you read the narrative in the book of Acts about Thessalonica, what happened? There's a riot in Thessalonica. Because Paul and Silas and Timothy are a threat to the powers that be. They're a threat. And so there's a riot. And so they are quietly, uh, they can't find Paul and Silas, but they drag Jason out of his house and Paul and, but Paul and Silas and Timothy have done ministry there and they are, then they go on and it is that city that now from that city of Thessalonica, the gospel is spread all over. Were we intimidated? We who had been in through the jail experience in Philippi and then the riot experience in Thess, were we intimidated? You know that we were not. For our exhortation did not come to you from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. Were we trying to 
capture people? Were we trying to make use of people? Were we trying to use people? No, we were not. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men. I'll say every place they go, virtually they get arrested. Not as pleasing men, but God who tests the hearts. Can you see the authenticity of Silas's walk with God? Can you see the authenticity of Timothy's walk with God? Can you see the authenticity of my walk with God? We're going from city to city to city facing persecution, 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 and yet we do not stop. Are we using people? No, we're not. We are servants of people. We're putting ourselves, humanly speaking, in danger for the sake of serving our Lord and you. And you. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Can you see that we are authentic? For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. Did we secretly try to reach into your pockets? God is witness. No, we did not. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. One of the things Paul states in one of his other letters, as an apostle, he has the right to ask that those whom he serves meet his financial needs. Paul never took advantage of that right. Peter did. That's not shaming. That's not to shame Peter. He's out there serving those people. It's only right that a farmer benefit from the field that he cultivates. Peter, Paul had a right to, but he set aside that right. He's known as Paul the tent maker. Why? Because he made tents. He supported himself and he stood in the marketplace and sold the tents that he had made. He supported himself. He had the right as an apostle to, to ask and actually demand that they meet his financial needs. He never took advantage of that right. What did Jesus say? There was a fellow that came to Jesus and said, I want to follow you. That's, that's good, but I want you to do it with uh, wide open eyes. Every night, the Son of Man Needs a place to lay his head down. And I don't know where that's going to be. Every day. The son of man. Meaning Jesus himself. And those apostles and disciples with me. We need, a, we need food to eat. We don't know where it's coming from. Every day it's there. Every day it's there. Sometimes I'm just making. You know. Uh, out of loaves and fishes. I'm feeding 5,000 people. <laughs> and we get 12 baskets. In, of of, of Leftovers, much more than what we started with. But every day it's an issue where will we lay our head down? Well, what will be on our, will we have a plate even to put food on? Now it's always there. But just be aware, if you're going to follow me, it's a day-to-day-to-day-to-day -to -day -to -day -to -day issue. 
Neither at any time do we use flattering words, or as you know, a cloak of covetousness, God is witness, nor do we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. We were gentle among you. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. We served you. We served you. Because you had become dear to us. We love you. We walked into your town never having met any of you and you captured our hearts. We love you. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day, not only making tents, but also meeting with you, serving you, laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preached to you the gospel of Christ. You are witnesses and God also. How devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. We were among you as servants. What was the single most shocking thing? And I keep repeating referring to this because it's important to us what was the single most shocking thing Jesus did before the apostles when he washed their feet that was something that the lowest of the lowest of the lowest servants in a household would be called upon to do it was considered to me the most humiliating thing anything having to do with feet even today in the Middle East, anything having to do with feet is considered demeaning. You'll remember many, some of you are old enough to remember when George W. Bush went to Iraq and he's holding a press conference and there was a fellow at the back and he was some Middle Eastern journalist and he picked up, his, he threw his shoe at George W. Bush. Why? Because in the Middle East, everybody knows that's the most insulting thing you can do. That is, wor that is worse than the words. Any words you could say to them. You throw your shoe at them, you're saying to them, you are not even worth the dirt under my feet. That's what I think of you. Yeah, Jesus washed feet. And so did his apostles. You are witnesses in God also how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe as you know how we exhorted and comforted. We encouraged, we exhorted, we built you up and comforted, we, we fortified you. The word comfort means to come alongside someone and fortify them, strengthen them. We comforted you and charged every one of you as a father does his own children that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. What's our ultimate destination? God's kingdom and glory. Ladies and gentlemen, 
we're going to stand in the presence of our God. That's what we've been called to. If you have entrusted yourself to the mercy of God, you will stand before Him and you will step into kingdom glory. And ladies and gentlemen, we don't even have a standard of measure of what that looks like. We are fallen people in a fallen world and we don't know what unrestrained, undiluted glory, holiness even looks like. And what he purposes to step us into is something we couldn't get our minds wrapped around because we don't have the frame of reference to even get it. And yet we can trust that the God who sent his son to the cross to pay sin's penalty for us. Let me tell you, folks, kingdom glory is pocket change. Compared to what he's already paid. To make a place for us in his kingdom. The same Lord Jesus Christ who cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he knew why. That's a, that's a, that's a question. It's not a question he can't answer. He knows why. But he's been forsaken by God. He's been made our sacrifice. All of the sin of every member of the human race from the creation till the end of time is being poured out on him and he is paying sins penalty for the entire human race right up to the point where he says it is finished it is paid in full father into your hands i commit my spirit what's kingdom glory compared to what god has already paid for us he sent his the same ache that was upon the son as he was upon the cross was also in the heart of the father who sent him. I would dare say it's harder to send your loved one to do something that terrifying than to do it yourself. The father, what did Jesus say? What's the most famous verse in our New Testament? Jesus taught us to say, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, the heir of all things, gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He gave the biggest gift he could possibly give so as to make a welcome for us in his holy presence. Kingdom glory, after that, Yeah, I can do that. I already gave you the most. As you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. That's what awaits us. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. 
Because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe, which also effectively works in you who believe, which also effectively... And so when you go to your friend who needs to repent and you bring the word to him, that word is an effective word. The God who said, let there be light, there was light. That's the word spoken by God. And so when we speak God's words into the lives of other people, it will have that same God effect. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the church of God, which are in Judea, in Christ Jesus, which are suffering, rejection, persecution, And Paul himself was the leader at one point of the persecution of those Jewish people who had become Christians. He knows all about it. He can give you details. You brethren have become imitators of the church of God, which defied my persecution, (laughs) which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, your own Greek countrymen just as they did from the Judeans who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets. Isaiah stuffed in a hollow log and sawn in two. Jeremiah kidnapped, taken to Alexandria, Egypt by his fellow Jews and and murdered there. So many of the prophets killed by the people to whom they went. For you, brethren, became imitators of the church of God, which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who both who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. And they do not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved. My Jewish brothers who themselves have rejected Jesus of Nazareth as their Messiah are telling us, don't you dare share that that message with those Gentiles. Why? Because they secretly know it's true. And they are denying it, but they also don't want it to go to you because they know it's true. Let me tell you, you want to annoy a Jewish person who hasn't trusted Jesus as their Savior, you, Mr. Miss Gentile, walk up to that Jewish person and say, let me tell you about your Messiah. Let me tell you about your God of Abraham. They not only don't want to hear it from you, they don't want you to hear it, and they will reject Him. The same people are the descendants of those who stood before Pilate and said, let his blood be on us and on our children, even though they knew they had every evidence that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah. What had he done? He had raised the dead. 
He had cleansed lepers. He had healed the sick. He's been doing this for three plus years. They all know it. Just a few days before he had raised Lazarus from the dead, John chapter 11. And what is it? John chapter 12, the Jewish leadership decide we've got to kill that guy, Lazarus, because he's too big a testimony for Jesus. We, I, the high priest, will engineer the murder of a man because his living. I mean, folks. And we don't want you spreading that gospel truth to those Gentiles. Because we know it's true, even though we will not. We are so encrusted in our own wickedness and rebellion. And well, the writer of this letter was one of those kinds of men. There is hope. There is hope. But until they, like this man, get face planted in the dirt, <laughs> they will be the opponents who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and they do not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Now, Paul... Jesus has already prophesied that Jerusalem will be destroyed. It still awaits happening. But Paul, as I understand, will be actually martyred, beheaded in 68 AD. That is the very year when the Jewish people rise in rebellion against the Romans. And the Romans, beginning at Galilee in 68 AD, they will, Romans, this is standard Roman practice, you take your time because you're doing, going to do a thorough job of destroying any rebellion. And so they began in 68 and it was 70 AD when they got to Jerusalem, surrounded Jerusalem. The Jewish leadership through James, the half-brother of Jesus, the head of the church of Jerusalem, who stayed behind in Jerusalem, though Jesus had told his people ahead of time, when you see the armies assembling, you get out of Jerusalem. James stayed. Why? To be a testimony to those people. And what was their response? They threw him off the wall. They murdered him. And then the Romans tore down the walls of Jerusalem, crucified Thousands and thousands and thousands of people and sold the rest of them into slavery. Tore down the walls of Jerusalem. Tore down the temple. Forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may, that they may be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. And it will be truly fulfilled in a very powerful way. Two years after Paul's own martyr martyrdom but we brethren having been taken away from you for a short time in presence not in heart 
endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. We really want to come back to you. We really want to visit with you. Therefore, we wanted to come to you again, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing other than our welcome into Jesus' presence? Our greatest joy is to be with those who are reveling in him and his presence. What is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? The day is coming, Paul says, when Silas and Timothy and I will be bystanders as we watch you along with us having been raised from the dead or, as we will see in a couple more chapters, caught up into his presence, the rapture, and he will welcome us into his presence. What That is what elates us more than anything else. What is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? It is not, is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you are our glory and joy. And Paul and Silas and Timothy and I will stand back and we will just be elated as we see you walking into kingdom glory in the presence of our Lord. This isn't just historical information. This isn't just something for us as followers of Jesus to know about Paul's thoughts towards the Thessalonians. This is what awaits us. The, thes the promised Thessalonian experience is the promised experience of every disciple on planet Earth today. We are looking forward to being welcomed into that great glory and joy and when that happens, how long will be that wonderful welcoming experience? Forever and ever and ever. And I keep citing it because I love it so much. Revelation 21, it says, And we, Jesus himself, God the Son himself, will tabernacle among us. There will be no temple in the, in the, new, in the new Jerusalem because Jesus will be t will be present with each of us as we're walking around in kingdom glory he will be with us in the same way that he was with the apostles in the beginning was the word the word was with god and the word was god john 1 1 verse 14 of that same chapter and the word became flesh and tabernacled tented among us and we beheld his glory glories of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth and by the same author revelation 21 he will tabernacle with us hey dj we're gonna be going over and having G lunch with jesus today you up for that oh yeah <laughs> our lord jesus we want to thank you for the promise this is solid stuff. This is the reality. This is what enables us to choose between what is valuable and what is worthless. 
and to make wise decisions in this life that will step us into usefulness to you and kingdom glory. And you revel in the reality of being able to make use of us. Lord, we, Satan wants to tell us that we're, we're, we're defiled instruments. God says, no, 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 no. I washed you. I cleansed you. You're mine. I will use you for my own praise and your coming glory. And you are looking, looking, looking for every way to make use of us to maximize that in our in that kingdom to come we just give you the thanks for your mercy your grace your aggressive mercy and grace to us and all God's people said amen and I don't know of a hymn in the hymnal that is more perfect for this